Welcome to season two of The Reflection. We started this series in March 2020 after the announcement of the lockdown and COVID-19 began to change the world. For 20 weeks, academics, activists and journalists joined us to discuss everything from the UK government's mishandling of the pandemic, the growth of conspiracies, Black Lives Matter and what it was like to bear witness to the growth of existing local and global inequalities. For this season, our guests will be reflecting on the political climate of the past year and we'll be talking to authors who have released books in 2020 concerning matters of race and class. Welcome to episode one of the second series of The Reflection. Um, we are really excited today to be joined by Dan Rennick, who joined us for series one to talk about COVID-19, the global pandemic and the left's response or lack thereof. In this series, we're speaking with people like Dan and other people that have been on the show who are helping us reflect on the past year. When we have our chats with Dan, I think we're going to be talking about politics, um, people that we should be in solidarity with and what's been happening and whether their responses to some of the biggest emergencies and crises that we're facing at the moment have been adequate. Dan. I think that's it for a lot of us, right? Like those people who have ample space, a garden, multiple rooms mm. and economic mobility. And then there's people who've got one room who've not really enjoyed the lockdowns, in it, right? Who've never really been an advocate for them. And then that playing out with these people expressing how nice and free and open their lives are with the ability to have a constant output. Whereas some of us are struggling to do the basics because we're just working from one space, right? And that, for me, was the root. If I'm really going to be honest, I can slew these people for the idiocy of some of the things that they come out with. But really, it's like a class politics, right? It's like like you are recording yourself with bare space around you, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like you got the lovely houseplants and all of that. And we aren't, in, we aren't all in this together, right? And yeah, we are all affected by COVID, but some of us are more affected than others, right? And I don't know. I don't think there's been a very good articulation of what it is to be the various people who've suffered, right? I, because in the general output that I've seen put out by the left or progressive forces, it's been subpar to a certain extent and it's played with anger, right? And that anger to me is something that I really don't like because I think it's really cynical. Like I said to you the last time I came on, I think that they built up the pandemic as a way of removing the Tories and when it wasn't efficacious, just like with Grenfell, they move on. And then the, the consistency of the argument and the things they push for aren't really there anymore. And the actual injustices aren't really being picked up, right? Like we don't, like the COVID bereaved families aren't getting the political support or the platform I think that they, they deserve if people are really going to go down the route of this is a state crime. But for me, I feel just like with Grenfell, they said this is a state crime, Boris needs to go. And when they realise they can't remove him, they move on to the next one. So now they think the Palestine or relationships with Israel are going to be the thing that's going to dislodge the government because we only ever think in a 24-hour news cycle. On that analysis, would you say the current left, as kind of represented by New Labour, are they ideologically bereft? I wouldn't say bereft, but I think we've been disunified for a very long period of time. And I think that plays out now. Like Last time I came on here, we were on the day of the election. Now we've seen the election results. Right? We can see how this stuff's playing out, right? Now, for me, you've had two serious 
state crimes since 2017. First Grenfell, second COVID. And Tories haven't electorally suffered as a consequence, right? Now, that's a massive thing to exist within our polity, right? And the thing is that this, a similar thing happened at the end of the 80s with Thatcher. If you look at the series of disasters that happened at the end of the 80s, yet they still won with major replacing them. So what is... So, would, you, would you say it's nationalism then? So nationalism is convinced people to replace class interest. To a certain extent, but I mean, but Thatcher played that in the 80s. Yeah, I yeah, think if you yeah. read Stuart Hall's work of really trying to understand Thatcherism, there's a massive issue I have with Hall because I'm more of a student of Sivan Anderson, right? But Hall's analysis, particularly in the 80s, up until 89, until the New Times stuff that he goes down the road of, his analysis is potent. And the thing is that the crisis of laborism as an essay presents this issue, right? Post-Fordism, the idea of like a post-industrial existence that we now live, right? Now, Manchester is a left-wing city. Liverpool are a left-wing city. They're also highly industrialized cities, even in their, in their past and in geography and architecture, right? London, I don't think, London, because of the pace of change here, of course there's industry in London. It doesn't feel industrial anymore. It doesn't feel a leftist city anymore. So when we have a progressive vote in London, I think it's racially based, right? It's racially progressive. It's socially liberal, but it's economically quite right wing, actually, London, right? Even the roads are. Everyone I know is trading on their little apps now and trying to get on their cryptocurrencies and that. We're all in it now, isn't it? This is reflected in the music, right? You see, like, with grime, drill, there's an embracement of, neoliberal logics right you want to make it you want to make money and it's not about being equal or being authentically street it's about making money so there's an acceptance of neoliberal logics man from the road so i, I agree i'd say the vote would be well, a racially moved vote but economically the people are thinking neoliberals right i was thinking about when dan was talking then as well um not kind of a departure from new labor and thinking more about our alternative um medias and how they have responded to uh the pandemic and grenfell what you said dan it being a class politic has really played out like i'm incredibly disappointed at how cliquey the left and the progressive left are I'm so disappointed. We have so much innovation. We have so many amazing thinkers, writers, people that can really help us understand and grapple with these big issues. What I don't understand is whether it's a lack of self-awareness of that fact, which I can forgive because I'm a very forgiving person, or it is purposeful and we are just playing a game of careerism, of climbing the ladder. I don't understand what it is. If it's the first one, I can work with that. I can work with most people, but I'm disappointed how the factions and cliques have not evolved. The listeners will be able to hear kind of exasperation, kind of a bit of anger in my voice because I think I've been a little bit naive about the left. I think that's to do with multiple things, but I'm disappointed. The thing is that we can talk, we can start to say names now, yeah? In the post-Brexit environment, in the viral media platform, Paul Mason, for how long? And it seems like it was just a game between Aaron Bastani and Paul Mason to, to, to dislodge him. But this guy is an outright imperialist that supported NATO, that was saying that we restrict our borders, that we close things down, right? We've platformed incredibly problematic figures. Owen Jones moved against Corbyn twice and he's he's posed to be a radical lefty in this country. The thing is that there's this move that we have that, that 
that diminishes what the ground of the left is and then says that this is the standard bearer of leftism. And anyone who's outside of those parameters is now this ultra left. And I've seen this language used by these media organizations. Now, who the hell are you to have the nerve to call me ultra left? Because I don't agree with you, bro. There's certain areas where I'm probably to the right of you or whatever it is. Like we, we're not in this little thing. And I'm not, for me, this isn't a game of I'm more left than you, right? It's not a game of I'm more working class than you. That, that, by all that, like, let's get on to the serious issues. On the serious issues, I mean, as it pertains to COVID, these people were advocates of the lockdown of all lockdowns, yeah? Why, right? Now, the thing is that David Sridhar, Anthony Costello, they made very good arguments, but in many ways, the horse has already bolted, right? In many ways, what we've seen come into play is that the vaccination program has been the magic elixir of Britain. And without that, we would have been utterly screwed, right? But before this vaccination program came into place and with our porous borders, we aren't in a, I mean, I'm not saying I want them closed or any of that stuff, but the thing is that epidemiologists have called for earlier action. We can look at the Indian variant right now and the fact that the Bangladesh was put on, I've read this before India, all of these political decisions are of great significance, right? And you can have a materialist analysis of these things. We can do these things, real justice, without asking for the things that means that cancer patients don't get treated. I had a friend who was diagnosed in cancer in, in January and died within five weeks. Yeah? And the amount of people I know who've had that happen, yeah, this year, and very little articulation of it, right? And we've spoken about this on the show before, like existing chronic conditions, like cancer in particular like listeners will know that this is something very close to home um, in my family and i just can't believe how lacking an analysis we've had on the left on some of these issues and i think that what's really important about what dan has said and what i've been thinking about is that i'm understand that we can't always get things right and with that in mind i think it's always really important to encourage knowledge production that is both reflective and reflexive but if we become a left or we produce alternative media that simply doubles down on our position and doesn't recognize where we get things wrong how the fuck can we say we are different from the daily mail when i look at the pandemic and the response right whether you're left or right I think they all suffer from the same thing of British exceptionalism. Yes. And they suffer from that problem because when the pandemic was happening, the left didn't say, didn't critique the right for not basically looking at best practice was around the world. Uh, the current death toll around COVID, I think in the UK, is about 127,000 mm -hmm. roughly. In the, for the whole continent of Africa, it's 300,000. The whole continent. Now that's mad, right? A continent of 54 countries, 300,000 people died. A nation of 65 million people, 127,000. We are one of the G7, right? So best practice is out there, but left and right were basically being ignorant yeah. with people's lives. We ended up with a libertarian authoritarian discussion around it. This is a pandemic, bro. Yeah, like when we were when we were putting people in air raid shelters in the Second World War, were we talking about the, the authoritarian government that was doing this to us, that was making us have blackouts. No, this is what is required, right? We live like we were only as strong as our weakest thing, you know. Right? The thing is that like a pandemic, like a uh, housing crisis, like an ecological crisis. Yes, there is real substantive politics that is going to change the world that we as individuals can't do anything about. But that doesn't mean that we completely sever our actions from consequence like we do the little things we recycle we put things away right we wear a face mask we do all of these things but 
we didn't develop that really right and now we're in a position where we're going out on massive demos where we're breaking rules where we're going to parties and the left the seem to be doing this more than the right i would say in british politics at this moment in time we have been the people who have most happily gone out when there are still restrictions in place and we are ones playing with a potential new variant now the vaccination program seems to be effective. The hospitalization rates, even in areas where the Indian variant is spreading, isn't leading to the hospitalization of 16, 17 year olds at this moment in time, looking at the data from Bolton. And that's heartening, which means that we may not have a return to the full lockdowns that we've had before. But this is something that we can't play with, right? This is something that all of us have a responsibility to maintain, right? And things that people want to throw that off. I mean, the amount of people I know who I thought were on point and saw the world like me, who've gone full anti-vax, anti-mask. Nothing at the above. But I, I literally just don't understand the anti-mask argument. Like, I know that my, my simplest way of putting this is that we are fighting against an authoritarian government. If you lot are actually seriously scared about the internet of everything and the, the internet of all things and facial recognition software, wear a mask, bro. Yeah, wear a hat, wear a mask, and don't get picked up everywhere you go. But if you're going to go around with a, using your contactless card for everything. Using your phone everywhere you go, snapping, bloody going on TikTok, using the, using the maps. And then Dan's you want to... now a uh, global TikTok phenomenon. I don't know if anyone knows this. <laughs> Tom Hardy of the left, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I can see it now. I, I can see it. it. I, I can see, see it. it. I can see it. Go on. No, but no, but this is it. There's a responsibility we all have, isn't it? And the thing is that I feel that we go, if it's not the Tories' fault, yeah, and if we're not going to be able to dislodge them, let's go and rave. Yeah. And I genuinely feel that that is the kind of position of the 20, 30-somethings. And the thing is that our vaccination rates are too low. I do sympathise with that, not the argument, with the actions that you're critiquing. I was going to send you the piece where, where um, Joe Rogan's talking. They're not wearing a mask, they're not taking the vaccine, right? And he's aimed at young people. Now, jo Joe Rogan, his demographic is 89% men. And it's usually men. And we had this same issue in the last pandemic, in the 1918 pandemic. Men, and especially young men, find it hard to do what they're told. So it's mainly white young men feel it hard to be told what to do. And it's this kind of thing, that this idea that you're kind of presenting information. It's for the first time, these people are being told to do something. The government's interfering in your life. Now, this narrative runs really, runs wild in America at the moment, but it's come over here. And Boris Johnson plays into this idea. And the left, like, what's his name? Pie Man whatever his name Keir Starmer. is. Keir Starmer. Starmer, right? So he, all he does is double down. They tell you to wear a mask, but also at the same time, they put that, that libertarian, individualistic argument saying, it's up to you. It's up to your choice. Trump, he encapsulated that argument pretty well. Wear a mask, but only if you want to. Now, if we're supposed to be all in it together, the only if you want to... It's not an option. It's not an option. But this has been the narrative of mainstream politics. But, but you, choice. But, but you look at the places that have been successful, and the thing is, yeah, like... They were, they were the authoritarian lurches that then end, yeah? And this is the thing. You look at China, you look at Vietnam, you look at the way that they controlled the epidemic in the early days and then what, they were able, what their daily life is compared to us, yeah? Now, really, go back to that original argument and tell me that you actually had a dichotomy between libertarian and authoritarianism and you're an absolute joker. You're a dilettante. You're lying to the world, right? We are the authoritarian ones. We've had one of the longest lockdowns in the world. We've had one of the worst economic impacts. We've had one of the worst impacts on, on small businesses. And we are sending people utterly insane, let alone what it has done to our public health, right? And you have these jokers still out here 
very happy to go, that's all locked down, right? Because there's this lunacy that goes, okay, if we go into a lockdown, somehow it's going to bring about the end of capitalism. Well, we're in our lockdowns and all of these 5G lot, they weren't, they weren't right, but they weren't right that 5G was being pushed out, right? That the internet of everything is coming, right? And the infrastructure of the internet of everything is, is a 5G infrastructure, which has been built while we've been in our yards. And the thing is that we're going to step out, not into this new normal is a new normal in which we are geotagged and traced and followed. But what was interesting is, so if you go back to the analogy of China, so if you remember what Boris Johnson said at the start of the pandemic, before, well, when it, when it was spread around China, Boris Johnson said, we're not China. So automatically they had that kind of ideological, almost like a Cold War argument, Cold War argument, that we are freedom loving and the West. So a lockdown is an anathema to our natural rights, our natural liberties that we have enshrined in. You hear people talking about Magna Carta now or the glorious bill of the glorious bill of rights or whatever people are talking about. You see these people are evoking these kind of things that we're lib liberty loving people. And a lockdown is an anathema. So if we do bring it, it's because we've had to. We really had to curtail some of your freedoms. Yeah, and, and I agree with that argument, right? The thing is that I'm, like I've said, I think it's a time-limited good and I think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we had meaningful test track and isolate programs, I mean, well, there's last year's episode where we deal with all of this, yeah? If, it, if we didn't have a market state, yeah? If we actually activated or, or developed where it's been broken, a public sector to deal with this stuff, we would be able to deal with it. Yeah. But instead we talk about things like we don't have to build it. Right? As if crisis in and of itself is going to yield the solution, and it doesn't, right? And oftentimes it puts us in a worse place, and oftentimes it sends people who were very good around the bend or into suicidal depression, yeah? And what work is required after something this long? Well, a lot more, right? And the thing is that, I mean, it, it doesn't just go for the left, it goes for the YouTubers, it goes for everybody, yeah? You lot all sit in your yards and you convey a world in which this hasn't just happened in which people haven't been apps i haven't i haven't sat down at my computer opened up a video at any point and gone this breath talk in my world ever not in the last year right i've, I've sat there and gone you like are you serious yeah it's, you're selling me that now yeah or, or or you're or you're cracking a joke yeah you're laughing about it yeah you're, you're like you're, you this this is funny to you isn't it right and the thing is it's not funny like it's not funny and it's not going to yield anything but really disastrous politics unless we can seriously engage with this stuff. And like I, like I said, from the very beginning of this thing, I see this as a state crime. You know? Yeah, it's a state crime. Every single one of those, like, like I, and I said it in an article I wrote, I said that let's say 10,000 deaths from COVID is an acceptable number given that we don't have the authoritarian structures or well, let's, let's not call it authoritarian structures. Let's say experience with epidemics in recent years. Yeah, yeah. yeah? Epi experience of epidemics in recent years would have meant that we automatically had face masks, that we automatically had the closure of schools, that we automatically did certain things that would have kept us safe. We didn't do those things because it wasn't in our body politic. We didn't have a muscle memory, let's just say. Yeah. So we, we fell behind. There's a number of deaths that we're going to have over people in East Asia because of a difference of experience, right? And let's put it down to that. We have to learn through experience, yeah? Now, anything above that 10,000, let's say that we've got a good 110, 120,000 above that number, state crimes, bro, premature deaths, right? Let's say that we had 120,000 from austerity alone, which was the figure before the pandemic. Let's add that on. Let's add in Grenfell. Let's say that we've had 250,000 premature deaths in this country, yeah, since the Tories came in, since the condemns came in, yeah, to 
absolute state crimes and then the violations of austeritarian state crimes and the day-to-day -day destruction of our working class, of our estates, of legal aid, of chore start centers, of basic care, of mental health, right? There's a quarter of a million people who should be here today or should have been here for longer than they were who aren't here anymore. And the Tories have managed to win two elections and they don't even feel that they have to electorally respond to Grenfell Tower anymore. Yeah? And if we're not careful, they're going to find themselves in exactly this place with COVID, right? They're pushing the, they're pushing the regulations that they said they were going to put. They're kicking it into the long grass. It's all rhetorical. No lessons have been learned. Right? And the only thing that's going to carry us into a place where this can never happen again is a never again politics, which means that we don't play knee-jerk politics, that we don't go for the quick reaction, that we don't just try and press the country to kick out Boris, yeah? but we actually develop a long-term politics that means everybody takes their, that takes their role. We're only as strong as our weakest link. And yes, if you go to parties when there's still a pandemic on, if you're not wearing a mask, you are one of our weak links. Every single person who's seriously experienced this thing is a victim and a survivor. And they're not just there for you to use statistically as a victim. They're for you to engage as a survivor, as a fighter. You are never going to know injustice like they do. You are never going to have that burning fire in their stomach like they do. You are performative in comparison to these people, and the best you can be is an amplifier. If you choose not to amplify them and continue to sit with your Nathan Barley looking left, yeah, with your Shoreditch going, I'm going to drink my, my I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink my lattes, mm. yeah, being a dickhead's cool leftism, mm. and you're not going to engage with them people, and you're not going to amplify those people. You're not the left, you're not progressive, that's not socially progressive. And the thing is, if we're going to talk a culture war and we're going to go into this whole thing of culture war, where's the diversity, bro? Mm -hmm. Come on, man, we've all seen those pictures, right? <laughs> we've all seen these pictures. These men are not diverse, this is not alternate media. And the thing is that if you're not even engaging with these left behind people, if you're not even engaging with people who are victims of state crimes, and they're not, they're not, they haven't done it with Grenfell, they're not doing it with COVID, yeah? Now, then what is our politics? Because if we're not building from there, and if we're not building from people who died prematurely, and if we're not dying, if we're not even building from businessmen who are who are working 12 hour days for 35 quid, which is what we are living with in this country, mm -hmm. or Uber drivers who are working 13 hours to get 80 quid, yeah? If you're not engaging with those people, if you're an alternate media organization and you're not building what recovery looks like mm. from that, yeah? What are you talking about, bro? turning issues into... So this is a Siva quote, Yeah, right? can we do the Siva quote? So, Let's finish so, on the Siva quote. So that's yeah, one of the greatest things Siva said. I mean, Siva said so many great turning things. Turning personal right? issues into... So he said, it's, when you it. turn issues into cases, cases into campaigns and a campaign into a movement. Yeah? And that's that. And Phil Scraton has that up on his wall, right? Serious people, like Inquest, these organisations, these are incubators of that very politics, yeah? And this is what... This, we've lived through two state crimes. That is where politics, meaningful politics is here now, right? Because every single one of these issues that we talk about in the abstract is there in the physical and is there in every single iota of it. So it's there for the genuine work if you want to do it. But then by all means, do the coffee shop conversation. In it. Thank you so much, guys. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to the T's and C's with T-Sone Chantel. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>